Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. How you guys doing? Welcome to City Church. So glad you're here. You glad to be here? All right. Like, I was, it was okay. Like, I'm not, I wasn't like totally convinced, but I'll take it. We'll, we'll, we'll go from there. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today. Today, we end our series through the book of Philippians through the summer. You guys pumped for that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> What's next? Hey, I'm, I'm pumped. Next week, we start a brand new series called Teach Us to Pray. It'll be uh, about eight weeks long. It's going to be an incredible time as we press into the fall together. So really excited for that. But I'm also super pumped to wrap up the series today. There are Philippians journals in the lobby for you. If you haven't uh, picked one of those up throughout the summer, you're welcome to grab those and just walk through the book on your own. But today we're going to be closing it out. Philippians 4 uh, verses 10 through 23. There's Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. There's journals there for you. All of that's just for you to serve you. Um, listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Uh, we exist here at City Church to help people find their way to God from where they are. And we do that by practicing the way of Jesus together here in Boulder. And that primarily happens through our weekend gatherings and our city groups. And so we hope that you're, you're finding life and you're going from that space of like strangers to friends to family and, and in the space of wherever you're walking in, you feel uh, and, and are consistently treated like you love, safe, and welcome. Now, today, as we kind of wrap up this book, it's kind of cool because we watch this transition for Paul writing this letter to a new church in the city of Philippi, much like uh, we, someone would be like, writing a letter to City Church here in Boulder, four years old. And, and this is kind of Paul's, maybe his favorite church out of all the letters that you read in the New Testament. There's a lot of affection in this letter. There's not really any hard, strong words from Paul when it comes to correction. And so he's writing to them and encouraging them and thanking them. And as he wraps up this letter, much like you and I don't write like handwritten letters much, but you know, you normally kind of save the sappy stuff for the end, right? Kind of save some of the, the, the wrapping up the letter. I saw one of my friends write a note recently. He said PS, and then he had PSS, and then PSSSS, right? Just, oh, all these extra thoughts. So we're going to get that from Paul today. But what I love about it is he's been, he's been really focused on Jesus and, and how our relationship with, with Jesus informs how we live life and how we relate to one another. And now we're going to see a transition from the massively kind of divine partnership that we have with Jesus and following him. And now you're going to see some of the massively human elements come out at the end. Not that they, they were absent during the rest of the letter, but we're going to just kind of see that, that this amazing tandem relationship between us and God. And, and not just like me and God, but we and God, like the plural space of community. Now, before I get into the text, I just got to give you some background. City Church was started with a call from God to this city. Not, not to start a church, but to reach a city. When God called Danielle and I here to Boulder, we started praying over the city and, and just doing some discovery over what's going on in Boulder. Never been to Boulder, didn't know anyone in Boulder, didn't really have like an agenda of like, yeah, let's, let's like plant a church close to the mountain so we can party hard. It was more like God called us here and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Now, what's really cool is as we started to do some digging, 
We were met with tons of encouragement. We started asking people up and down the front range, like, hey, we, we think God might be calling us to plant a church in Boulder. What, what do you think about that? And they would laugh and say, absolutely not. Do not do that. That's the worst idea ever. Boulder is where church planters go to die. Boulder is affectionately known along the front range as the church planting graveyard. I'm like, man, this is awesome. It's like the scene out of Lion King, and we are so in it. And so, so they're, they're really encouraging us, uh, us with all of these you know, words of encouragement, and we're like, cool, maybe not Boulder. And we keep praying, and God keeps calling us back to this place. And here's what we find out. 93% of our population here in Boulder, so out of roughly 110,000 people, roughly 93%, that, that's maybe, maybe a little more than that, but we're just going gonna to land there. 93% of, of, of our population is disconnected from a relationship with God. And so, that, and, and so what that roughly works out to is a little over 93,000 people in Boulder proper don't have a life-giving relationship with God. In addition to that, why, why this place is called the Church Planting Graveyard is because when we moved here, so this was 2016, the, the stats have gone up since then, but when we moved here, 39 out of the last 40 churches that had started, that were new churches over the last decade in Boulder, 39 out of the last 40 had already closed their doors. So when we moved to Boulder in 2016 with a call from God to start a church in the church planting graveyard, there was one church that had survived a decade of planting. Like, sweet. These are great odds. And then naturally, we're asking the question, we're like, what in the world makes us any different than any of the other stats? I'm sure they all love Jesus. I'm sure they worked really hard. Like, like, what in the world makes us not turn out to be a stat? And, and here's what it felt like. It's like God gave us one seed. Anybody garden in, in the room? Anybody gardening? No gardeners? Have we, were you embarrassed about gardening? <laughs> like, you're like, no, no, not, not my tomatoes. You can't have them. I don't, uh, anyway, so, so it's, like, it's like God gave us one seed, and he said, I want you to take this seed, and I want you to walk out in the middle of the Highway 36 over here. Here's a shovel. I need you to dig a hole through the concrete, plant this seed in the middle of that highway, and then help it grow. Here's a watering can. <laughs> That's what it was like planting in Boulder. Like, good luck trying not to get run over, making it through the concrete, getting to good soil, and actually seeing something survive. And then COVID showed up. That was cool, right? You guys remember that? I know, like, it wasn't really a big deal, but, like, that was, that was fun for, you know, a year-old church trying to make it. And so we look back over our story, and again, we kind of think back through, like, God didn't call us to start a church. He called us to reach a city. And so it wasn't ever about starting an amazing weekend gathering, hoping people show up on a Sunday. It was about gathering and making disciples and empowering, to, empowering them to live on mission where they live, work, and play. And so as we continue to think through what God has called us to, I see a lot of parallels in what's going on in the church of Philippi and what, he's do, what God is doing right now in City Church. And so, I don't know your, your relationship. Some of you are brand new to City Church. Some of you have been coming for a while, so there's different places that you relate today. But by God's grace, we've seen tons of our friends since we started come to trust in Jesus and follow him through baptism and make other disciples. By God's grace, we are still here, and, and God is doing some really cool stuff through this church. You guys excited about that? I'm grateful. I'm, I'm like genuinely grateful for that. And one of our core prayers, so like we, we got together this morning, every Sunday at 945, by the way, we have a prayer gathering, and you're always invited. So uh, if you join a team at City Church, go through Growth Track, all of that, then we'll get you hooked up in that space. But you're welcome at prayer anytime. And what was really cool is we got to pray with one of our partners in Pakistan this morning over a Zoom call. It was really, really cool. But as we're praying for them, one of the things we also pray for here in Boulder is that we would see lostness. That's what Jesus called people who were disconnected from a relationship with God. He called them lost. 
We, we, we want to pray to see lostness in Boulder decrease from 93%. Listen, this is an amazing vision, okay? This is like one of those things when you lean over and you're like, I would give my life for that. Like that's worth losing everything for. We're like, all right, let's dream big here, guys. We want to see lostness in Boulder go from 93% to 92%. Let's freaking go. Come on. That's amazing. Friends, while that's like, you know, it's only 1%. Listen, listen. That is 1,100 people choosing to trust in Jesus through the direct influence of this family. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. It's 1,100 people choosing to trust in Jesus through this family. We also pray for 5% of Boulder to decrease in lostness through the collective influence of our churches here in Boulder that are preaching Jesus and the good news. As we pray for all of our partners in Boulder as well. Let me ask you a question. That handles 1%, maybe 5%. What what about the other 88%, 87%, depending on which one you're using? Even if City Church reaches 1,100 people, it's 1,100 unique stories of people that God deeply loves. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? That'd be amazing. It's still only 1% of our city. So, so, so how do we do it? Well, it can't be, let's get as many people in a room as possible. And hopefully we can reach 1,100 people. But through multiplication and through God using you, we could see way more than 1,100 people reach. You guys tracking with me? It's just a, it's just a different starting place. That the church, the gathering is not the finish line. This is, this is just the starting line. Now, I share all of that because I've been reading about movements around the world, specifically gospel movements. Or if you're new to church, like the word gospel that you see in the scriptures, it means good news, the good news of Jesus, like these movements around the world, like we're seeing with our friends in Pakistan and then our, our partners in India and in Thailand. And I've been reading about movements around the world, specifically church planting movements. And I'm going to be in India in two weeks. And our goal is, listen, if you're interested, we're, we're beginning to partner with different uh, teams around the world that we already partnered with financially. Fitz said it earlier, by the way, right? You don't just give to a church, you give through a church. And I'll talk a little bit about, about that in a minute, but, but we have all these partners around the world that we generously partner with financially and then through prayer and then through sending teams. So I'm going to be in India in two weeks with some of our teams in northern India, and it's going to be wild, and, and when I was talking to our partners there, they're, they're experiencing what, what's, what's defined, I'm going to give you the definition in a second, what's defined as a church planting movement. There's currently between 1,400 and 2,000 documented church planting movements happening around the world right now. You're like, what in the world does that mean? When, when we were on a, a Zoom call getting ready for this India trip, they said, hey, get ready, just your team, you guys need to be ready to baptize a couple hundred people while you're here for seven days. I'm like, huh. Cool beans, like, sounds, sounds awesome, right? I do that pretty much every week, so yeah, it's totally normal. <laughs> and and what's, what's wild is they have this incredible move of God happening through normal people like you and me. Now, what's a church planting movement? A church planting movement is when a hundred or more churches are birthed, are started in a three to four year period And these are all with brand new followers of Jesus. So it's not like they found a bunch of Christians and started a bunch of churches with them. This is at least 100 churches that have started within a three to four year period with multiple streams to the fourth generation. The average church planting movement over a three to four year period out of the 1,400 to 2,000 that are documented right now happening in the world, they're seeing upwards of 70,000 people come to trust in Jesus in a singular 
movement through normal, uneducated people in love with Jesus and sharing that good news with the world. That's bigger than any one church in the West, in one movement. So, so it would look like City Church planting four churches to the fourth generation and all of those multiplying to reach 93,000 people in our city. Again, you ask the question, how do we reach 93,000 people with the good news of Jesus? One of the myths um, um, that, that, that these places start with, one of the things that my coaches told me, is said, all of these movements start with a phrase. Everyone that hears these stats, they're like, there's no way that could happen, and that could never happen here. And they said, every time someone says that, says that that's when it starts to happen. <laughs> and I'm like, sweet. And so just in faith, if we could all just in agreement right now say that could never happen here on three. Ready? One, two, three. That could never happen here. All right, there you go. Get ready. You just signed up for a movement. You didn't even know it. Um, so I, I tell you all of that because one of the things in movements and one of the things in, in uh, um in history in general, is there's this, like, there's this myth, especially in the West, with our John Wayne culture that's slowly dissipating, but the myth of the heroic individualist, right? Like all of our favorite movies, like they have this, there's like this giant myth of the heroic individualist, and all, they get all the attention and all the accolades and the amazing movements are attributed, not even just in church planting, but just in the world. Any significant shift is attrib- attributed to a single, singular like heroic individualist. But the reality is every time you dig into someone's biography, I don't know if, you like, if you're a history person, right? But every time you dig into someone's story and whoever's on the front of that book or the front of that story, while they definitely have a lot to do with it, movement belongs to those behind the scenes. That there is always in any significant movement in the world that you and I live in, any significant movement is always attached to a team of normal people committed sacrificially to seeing things move forward. That's true of the church planning movements that we're seeing around the world. That's true of Apple. It's true of all the different spaces that you and I watch significant impact happen in the world around us. That the myth of the heroic individualist is, is, let's lean into a few special gifted people and hope they do it for us. And the reality is it's not how it works. One of the dangers in the West, like particularly in, in like the Western church, is that we can come, we, we, we can gather with the church and then we can say, I'm going to plug in where, where I'm really attracted to like a few people's public gifts. And so we lean in and we're like, oh man, like that, that, that band is really good or that speaker is really good or, or, or this person. Like, and we look at a few public gifts and we lean in and say, man, I'm going to plug in here so that I can benefit from the, from the fruit of a few public gifts. And listen, you can, you can build a decent church, especially like that Americanized version. You can build a decent church by relying on a few public gifts gifts. You can build a decent church. But you and I will never see movement. We'll never be a part of a move of God unless we learn to come together with a deep sense of commitment that God wants to build the kingdom through us collectively, that you're gifted, that you are a gift, that there is a ton of potential in your life right now to make an impact in the world around you, both now and forever. And so the question is, I I think for me and for you today, City Church is four years old. 
God is doing some really cool things. He's done many amazing things up to this point. A friend, Dan, was baptized just a few weeks ago, and it's a four-year journey with that dude of coming to meet Jesus, and it was so worth it. Like, I look back, and I'm like, man, if it was all just for Dan, it would be so worth it. And I wonder how many stories like that are attached to your life or could be attached to your life if you allow God to give you a a deep-seated vision for what could be. Vision, Andy Stanley describes it as the sense of what could be with a deep conviction that it should be. And I I wonder how many of you have a deep-seated vision for your life of what could be along with a conviction from God that it should be that way. So so the question for you today is, is, and and for me, do do we want to just be a good church? Like, we want to settle there four years in? Cool, let's just kind of keep rolling with with what God has done and see, you know, what comfort gets us? Or do we want want to be a part of a movement of the good news of Jesus breaking into the city of Boulder to transform lives so that people fall in love with Jesus and follow him? Do we want to just be a good church or do we want to be a part of a movement? I was talking with Seth, one of our staff members, earlier this week, and it's so easy. We all work full-time jobs and we're busy and we have all the things of life going on and you're trying to, you know, also follow Jesus simultaneously. And sometimes we just kind of get distracted in what's in front of us. And, and so he and I were talking about like, oh man, like, yeah, what, what's going on right here and, and what's next? You ever have that like kind of thing in the, like you got to get tired of something and you start looking at what's next? It's one of the biggest traps that you and I can fall into is being discontent with where we are and we abandon that for what's next when what Jesus is trying to do is right in front of us. And so then we we kind of start it back up inside of ourselves. Man, what's next is what Jesus has called us to. We're, We're here for that same purpose and reason. What's next is the same thing that was yesterday if we'll give our attention and time to it. So I want you to think about a sailboat. Anybody sail boats? in the room? I've never been on one because I get really seasick, but I love the analogy, so we're just going to go with that. Okay, so what you're going to see about these church planning movements around the world is that only God can start a movement and sustain a movement, right? You and I can't manufacture a movement. We can't try really hard to see a move of God happen in our homes, in our hearts, in our families, in our cities. We can't manufacture them, but there are some human elements that play into being a part of a move of God. It's much like a sailboat in the water. Some people, you're following Jesus, and sometimes we get in this place where where you're like, cool, I'm in the boat with Jesus, but it kind of feels stale. It feels like we're not doing much. We're like, I'm just kind of getting pushed around by the waves, and there's not a lot of direction. And it might be that you're in the boat, but you don't have your sails set, right? A sailboat without its sails set sitting in the middle of the ocean is not good for much, There's not a lot of direction attached to it. But what's unique about a sailboat is the power is not in the one in the boat. (laughs) The power is not even with, with whoever has their hands on the steering wheel or controlling the rudder. A sailboat is dependent on the wind. And so while you and I can't create the wind, if that makes sense to you, you and I can't generate a move of God, we can absolutely set our sails. And that's my invitation for you today, is that if you want to, be a part of a move of God. If you want to see your life awaken to the reality of all of the incredible things that Jesus invites us into, then you can set yourselves alongside many others today to be a part of a move of God. 
Only God can create movement, but we can absolutely set our sail. So how do we do that? Paul's gonna give us three elements today of a move of God, and these are not all of them. Um, I've got a bunch of books and things I've been reading and coaches that I've been listening into, and there's, there's actually seven elements of a move of God that we're seeing consistently across the world. But I'm gonna give you three of them today because they're in our text in Philippians. How cool is that? So we're, I'm gonna give them to you today. But again, if, if you just, listen, this is just a very fair invitation for you. If you just want to go to church, like attend church, catch a few good messages every now and then, like try not to sin, try to be a good person, build your career, and, and if, if that's the life that you want, then, then cool. Like, like no pressure from me, but I just want to let you know that you're going to miss out. You're going to settle hard on all that God could and would do through you if you'd let him. But if you're leaning in, if, if something inside of you, not from me, like not, not from my effort today of trying to be eloquent, for, if there's something inside of you that is hungry for more of God, I heard Dallas Willard say it this week. He said that God wants to be wanted. He doesn't force relationship. If we want to do our own thing, he lets us. And so he, in that space, is there a hunger inside of you? that You, you, you desire something more. That like, There's just something in you that says, man, like this is not enough. There has got to be more. If that's you, I want to encourage you to lean in today. So here's the three elements of gospel movement. Of, of moving around the world, and then, again, what we can see here in Boulder. Number one is sacrificial commitment. Number two is loyal friendships. And number three is generous partnerships. These three factors we're going to see in Philippians, these three factors we see in movements across the world. So let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Here's Paul. He just got done talking about, if you missed it last week, he just got done talking about anxiety. So if you, if you ever get stressed or anxious, which is not most of you, but if you ever do, we looked at, the, at that last week and said you can go dig that back up. And now he's transitioning from helping them deal with the anxieties of life and following Jesus. And then he transitions, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, I've learned it. As in, I, I, it's not like I picked up a book and now I know, oh, I didn't realize this is all I needed. This is a practice, a way of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what he did. He's learned by following Jesus in whatever situation. Is this true of you? Is it true of me in whatever situation to be content? That wasn't true of me like yesterday at two o'clock. <laughs> Dang it. So, so like, man, this is, this is interesting. I, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, the not-so-secret secret, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We just sang a song, the song of ascent, the highs and the lows, right? That's what he's talking about. Here's this famous verse that is always used out of context. I can do all things through him, through Jesus Christ, who gives me strength or who strengthens me. You guys heard that verse before? Got it on a t-shirt somewhere? I was in college. Uh, um, I was an engineer for a while, then I transitioned when God called me to, to, uh, um, to be a pastor. And I'm at Bible college, and I'm at the gym. And and skinny as a beanpole, still am, but like, like even more so at that point, right? So you're in the gym doing whatever skinny dudes do in the gym. And then there's two like pretty buff dudes, but again, I'm at a Christian college working on my undergrad, and there's two dudes that are deadlifting in the middle of the room, right? 
And, you know, that's cool. Way to go, you. I'm not, like, you know, hating or anything. But one of the things that they're doing is every time, like, whoever's doing the reps, you know, they got a cheerleader in the background, and then the other dude that's doing the deadlift, every time he lifts, he quotes a verse. I'm like, okay, a little scripture memory going on, like trying to work in your practice. What's really awesome is, like, you know, massive, you know, good form, all of that. Nice quads. It was, it was good. And he's down there, and then, you know, that, 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 that knee tremble and all of that. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's it go. I'm like, that's not what that verse means. But I'm not going to say that out loud because I'm skinny, dude. And, you know, you guys do whatever you want. Um, you know, so, I mean, good intentions, but not exactly what Jesus was talking about. Not exactly what Paul had in mind when he says, you can do all things through Jesus who strengthens you. Deadlift 345. Let's go. Right? What's he talking about? He's actually talking about suffering. That, that I, I can be committed to the call of Jesus on my life even when life is hard. Now, you, you have to remember, if, if you weren't here for the beginning of the series, Paul is writing from a prison in Rome. So he's been talking about being joyful and following Jesus. I mean, it's quite amazing. Paul is kind of a radical dude. And, and he's, he's affectionate and vulnerable with this church. They're his friends. And he's been over and over again saying, guys, listen, you got to get this. From prison, in the middle of suffering, he's saying all the joy in life that you're looking for, it's got to be found in Jesus. It's there in that relationship. Lean in. He would say Jesus is worth losing everything for. Quit chasing those things that don't matter. He would say, man, we live in relationship to one another based on our relationship with Jesus. We don't make educated decisions about how we treat each other based on how our parents taught us to act. We learn from Jesus. If it was good, we keep it. If it was not good, we throw it out. And we learn to relate to one another the way that Jesus loves and treats us. He says we handle anxieties in life based on the person of Jesus. There's a different way that you think, that you respond, that you live. And over and over again, he's like, guys, you got to get this. And he's in prison you're like, that guy's messed up. Prison has been rough on Paul. He's not right. And here, here's, here's why this matters so much. You, you can pick it up on your own time. Acts chapter 9, starting there, moving forward. You'll watch Paul go from someone massively opposed to the early church, killing Christians, shutting down churches, and you watch him become a Jesus follower and then be a part of an incredible move of God. And as you watch it, he lives the Jesus stuff. He's in prison because he was sacrificially committed to following Jesus no matter what came. And so you read Acts chapter 9 over through that space, and over and over again, the dude's beaten, and he's thrown in prison, and he's shipwrecked, and all these crazy things are happening to him. And he's like, yeah, that's just part of following Jesus. Listen, I'm just going to read it. It's not on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 4. Here's how he describes it. Like, hey, Paul, how's like the following Jesus thing going? Oh, he's like, oh, you know, this present hour, we're hungry and thirsty. We're poorly dressed, beaten up, homeless. We're working really hard with our own hands. We're reviled, but we still bless people. We're persecuted, but we're hanging in there. We're slandered, but we still love them. We've become and we still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's how you, that's a good thing? <laughs> yeah. That didn't sound like a great high high for me, Paul. Say, hey, how's this Jesus thing going? Oh, yeah, it's great. I'm treated like the scum of the earth. It's, it's amazing. Acts 20, similar vein of thought. Listen, I mean, just listen to his posture following Jesus. He says, man, I don't, I don't account my life of any value 
not, not precious to me. If only I can finish my course and the ministry, the service that Jesus has given me so that the good news of the grace of God can go to others. He said, that's all that I care about is making Jesus known. That's some sacrificial commitment, isn't it? I mean, that's crazy levels of commitment. And Paul is a model writing to this church in Philippi saying, listen, don't settle in your comfort because God has so much more for you. And he's not bitter. He's not mad. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's like, I think sometimes people think about, I heard Francis Chan talk about it like this. He said that, like, it's like you get recruited for the army and you go to war and it's your first one and you're out on the front lines and they start shooting at you. And then you run back to your commanding officer and you're crying and you're like, <gasps> Did you know they were going to be shooting at us? They're shooting things at me. And he's like, we, we're at war. Like, what do, you, what do you expect? And the same way, Paul's like, man, this is part of following Jesus. He's not bitter. He's, he's not like, got an attitude of like, oh, I can't believe people are so mean to me for following Jesus. He's like, no, man, this is, this is just the price of following Jesus. Jesus said it would be like this. Let me show you some pictures. These are a couple of pictures from one of our partners in Pakistan this week. These are churches being burned. You can go to the next one. Crosses being thrown off of rooftops. People being burned out of their homes, living, running for their lives, living with little water and food. These are some of our partners in Pakistan this week. And my friend Sam, he, he messaged me and he says, Pastor Drake, we need, we need help. We need your prayers. We need your support. We need to help these families. I don't know if you can see it, but there's little babies with these moms and they're homeless. Their homes have been burned. Churches are being burned, all in persecution for following Jesus. And this morning at 9.45, we got to pray with Sam. Not only did we get to pray for him, but then they prayed alongside us. And it was humbling to listen to their prayers they're not praying just for safety, to make it stop. They're praying for God's goodness to be shown. They're praying for, for protection and provision over those that are vulnerable and helpless. They're praying for their enemies and saying, hey, can you guys help? We need food and water for these families, for these people that are being persecuted. And as I was talking to Sam, it just reminded me, like, like what, what I love about Sam and what I love about our church is that when we say you don't just give to a church, you give through a church, like our, our desire is to take and steward well all that God has given us, and we have partners all over the world, stateside, India, you name it. People like Sam, who are on the ground, committed to, like Paul, seeing Jesus made known, sharing the good news, and seeing life abundantly come into others. And what's wild is that Sam is not running. Sam and his team, they're not running from this. They're running to it. I heard a story this week of someone who was on a mission trip in a similar space asking followers of Jesus, like, hey, like, uh, have, you ever, have you ever suffered for your faith? Like, is, is, that, a, is that a thing? And everyone kind of looked at him like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Like, everybody in the room, of, co of course we have. It's like, and then they turned it back on him and they said, have, have you ever suffered for following Jesus? It was like part of the deal here. Jesus said to expect it. And then this American was like, ah, uh, not, not, nope, <laughs> not, not really, not, not that I can count. So I, I share this with you for two reasons. One, to remind you, listen, when you give to City Church, we, we support our partners like this. But number two, 
if God puts it on your heart, we're going to be sending additional relief on top of the support we already give this week for food and water to help them and aid them uh, as, as these churches are persecuted and people are dispersed. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, then you can give through those envelopes. You can give online with the drop down toward our mission partners, and it'll go directly towards them. But, but what's interesting is as I listen to Sam and as I listen to Paul, there's joy in who God is. Man, I wish you could have been in the room as they prayed. And, and, and as they praise God in the middle of suffering, there's no bitterness, there's no self-righteousness. There's commitment to Jesus, sacrificial commitment. Listen, I, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. This is not meant to be coercive at all. But, but we are heading, even in the West, into a cultural moment where there is increasing resistance to following Jesus. You should expect it. And it's hard. And it makes for hard relationships. And it makes for hard conversations. And it makes for hard living. And it's nothing like our brothers and sisters are experiencing around the world. And so as we pray for them, we pray for ourselves. God, give us boldness. Sacrificial commitment. Listen, what if, what if you adopted a new lens as a Jesus follower? What if rather than just kind of adding Jesus to what we do and our agendas in life, what if the new lens was every decision that I make is now running through the filter of how does this build the kingdom of God? Every, every way I use my time, my energy, my resources, like the world around you is like, follow your passions. Sam and Paul and others in this church are like, my passion is Jesus. That's who I'm following. That's where I'm lining up my heart. That's where I'm going. Jesus said where we invest, that's what our heart gets attached to. So time, wealth, energy, how do I leverage everything about my life for the kingdom of God? That's what I'm asking. That's a life worth living. And so listen, I don't know where you are, and your job is simply to listen to God today and respond appropriately. But if your heart swells with there's got to be more, I would encourage you, if you lean into the center of this church, you will find people sold out for Jesus and his kingdom. You will find sacrificial commitment. There is a family continually growing that live this well. Now listen, you, you, can, you can come to City Church and you're more than welcome here. We love you. We're so glad to point you in the direction of Jesus no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. And we mean it. We mean it. And you can enjoy the fruit of the sacrificial commitment of other people that make a lot of what City Church happen. You, you can enjoy the fruit of that, or you can grow your own fruit. And let me just tell you, there is way more satisfaction and reward in experiencing the fruit of your own labor rather than just benefiting from the fruit of someone else's life. This year, I don't really garden, but I've got kind of like a mint garden going on. It's an accident, but I still have it, okay? Apparently, mint's a really aggressive leaf, okay? You guys can go back to the, uh, the other slide for a second. Um, or actually, you can go back to Philippians 4, the next one, yeah. Um, so, so I got this mint garden going on, and I, actually, Danielle and I have an accidental mint, mint garden, whatever. We have mint, okay? Real live, growing mint out of the ground, and it smells amazing. And we were throwing a party for our city group, and you know what we made? Mojitos. And you know what you need for some mojitos? mint. And I could have gone to the store and bought some mint, but you know what I did? I went outside with some scissors, and I cut my own mint. And you know what? I don't know how much, you know, you have that little janky plastic box of mint. It's like barely enough for one drink. No, no, no. I've got an abundance of mint, friends. And so I just bring in the mother load, a hundredfold of mint for everyone. You want some mint? And I just let you know, there's some confidence 
that mojito, that's pretty good, isn't it? Like there's an extra, that's, that's mint from my garden. There's, there's a different level of, that's my own fruit, accidental fruit, but I still did it. The point is, as a follower of Jesus, you can benefit from the fruit of others, and, and you will, and that's great. I, I get it. I've, I've been there. But also God is inviting you to be a part of producing fruit out of your own life. It's just, it's just different when you're involved in the process, when you're invested, when you grow it yourself. Our, our world has had this social experiment going on for, you know, uh, a couple thousand years of trying to get the human heart fulfilled. America is just another social experiment, still figuring out what this life looks like. And so we lean into things like sex and money and power and comfort or, you know, whatever version of success that you've been sold. And over and over again, the results come back that it's just not enough. It's not enough to fill the human heart. But you know what's interesting is that there's been this Jesus experiment going on for roughly 2,000 years. And every single person that has committed their life to following Jesus, what you hear from them, the collective fruit, Jesus is worth losing everything for. Nothing compares to Jesus. I, my life is like, I mean, it's just pointless. No, nothing else matters compared to the weight of, of, of following and knowing and experiencing the love and the power of Jesus in my life. Not that my kids don't matter, my wife doesn't matter. Everything else pales in comparison. So the invitation, number one, is sacrificial commitment. Number two, it's loyal friendships. I got a boogie. Let's go to verse 10. These are what movements, these are the rails of movement. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me prior, but you had no opportunity. So Paul speaking from prison. If you guys remember, prison system in Rome is not exactly like the one we have today. So it's not three square meals a day and a nice, you know, pillow and a cot. It's if you don't have people taking care of you in prison, you're going to die. Paul's in prison, and he said, man, you know, you didn't have concern at, or opportunity at first, but now you do because I'm in prison, but I was concerned. I didn't, I didn't know if anyone cared. Paul's in prison, and he has no idea. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. You Philippians yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, you can go back and read this in Acts, no church, not a single church, entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. You're the only ones that said, I got you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Loyal friendships. He said, you shared in my troubles. Paul's in prison and he doesn't know, and then one day Epaphroditus shows up with a bag of money, and he's like, it's just this amazing moment and a reminder that we've got you. Our friend, our friend Sam, that we're working with, uh, introduced earlier, when we started partnering with him, he's a native to the area, I started talking to the organization he works with, I said, hey, what, what do Sam's needs look like? And they said, honestly, not many people partner with him. He doesn't speak English well, so it's hard for him to, to, to communicate you know, in English with, with partners on this side, and, and he's doing the work over there. And so, so Sam, this organization gives him like 100 bucks a month. That's all that they do. Maybe it's less than that. And they're like, most of what Sam does, he's doing out of his own pocket. And so then our, our team starts to pray. So, hey, we can partner with him financially monthly, and then we can continue to partner and pray through God. How do you want us to partner with him right now? And over and over again, Sam, is, I, I can't express to you the gratitude that that guy gives out. And I feel like we do very little, I'll be honest, for them. 
And the gratitude spills out from sin. Thank you, City Church. Over and over again, as they were praying this morning, they thank God for you. And they prayed for you. Listen, I, I don't know what your life looks like, but loyal friendships are key to following Jesus. Longevity, depth, loyalty. Paul's in jail, and he wasn't sure if anyone was there, and then bam, they're, I've got you. Here's, what, here's what's interesting. Paul, the dude that's seeing tons of miracles happen through his hands, right? I mean, people are raised from the dead. All kinds of cool miracles are happening from Paul. The same Paul that experiences miracles is in jail and has a human need that a miracle won't meet. Only a human need can meet where he's at right now. Friendship is what God uses to meet this. Isn't that interesting? That God uses friendship, he uses people to meet the need that Paul is in, even though there's all this other miraculous stuff going on. And so we can pray for the miraculous, and we do for Sam and the teams on the ground, but also we want to be friends that help him practically. And it's just amazing to me that Paul needed friends, and so do you. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't do it alone. I heard it said this week by T.D. Jakes, he, he said there's different kinds of friends. There's the confidants, there's colleagues, and then there's comrades. You have the three C's in your posse, confidants, right? Those are the people that you trust your heart with. They're like, man, I've got you. They're the people that are for you no matter what you're going through. Do you have some confidants in your life? Listen, here's the deal. Some of you don't. For different reasons, you don't. Maybe you're, you're new to the area and you haven't built friendships yet. Maybe you're, you, know, you struggle relationally to build, you know, those, whatever it is. If you don't have a confidant, here's the good news. You can be one. Start by being one. Someone you can trust with your heart. And there's colleagues. Those are the people that you trust with a vision. They run alongside you. They run together like, man, we're in this together. And the only challenge sometimes with colleagues is if the same vision is available at a cheaper price somewhere else, then they might leave. They're for the vision, but if it's cheaper somewhere else, then they might leave. And, I, and listen, some of you have been hurt by church, you've been hurt by friendships, you've been hurt by community. And sometimes what happens is we give our hearts to a colleague instead of a confidant. And that takes discernment and it takes time. Community takes time. Friendship takes time. But you can be a confidant. We can run together as colleagues. And the last one he talked about was comrades. Comrades are in the fight together, right? Whatever the thing is, whatever the fight is, like, yeah, we're in that together. They said, the problem is comrades are all about the fight. So the second the fight is over, they still want to fight with somebody. So you got to watch out for comrades, okay? So listen, I don't know where you are. My, inv my invitation for you is, is you can be a friend and you need friends. Like, like, there's no mistake that Jesus talks about the church as family. So listen, City Church exists because of a few confidants. My best friend, Danielle, said yes when God called us to plant a church. And then a year later, our dear friends, Daniel and Michelle, said no. <laughs> and then three months later, they said yes. Because <laughs> God told them to. Careful what you tell God no to. I'm just letting you know. And then a few months later, we meet Maddie, one of our other staff members, and she's a senior in college, and she catches the vision of what God's doing. And she says, yes. And then a few months later, another staff member, Seth, he comes out for a vision trip, and he says, no. And then three months later, he says, yes, take that. <laughs> and over and over again, it was, and then a few months later, Albert and Jody, this is the core team of City Church, say yes to a party in the park with a keg for City Church, and they're the only ones that roll up. And they become a core part of what's... Of, and, and over and over again, friends, listen, so many people have, had, have said yes to what God is doing in this family. And it started with one, and then two, and then four, and then six. There were some depressing days at City Church, I'll let you know. 
There was a season when we went in the lobby together. There were so few of us. We had pictures where it was depressing in here. We're like, wow, like there's five of us in here. Three of them are on stage. Let's, what are we doing? And we go back in the lobby. We started meeting. And then over and over again, this family has grown to where many of you are confidants today and colleagues today because of God's call into this family. It's beautiful. And the last thing, the last thing is generous partnerships. I'm going to invite Kari to come and play. This is verse 17 through 23. Not that I seek the gift. So so this is Paul responding to the generosity and taking care of him. He says, friends, I'm I'm not seeking the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. He's the guy that brought the money. The gifts that you sent, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply. Listen, this is amazing. Paul's confidence back to them as they respond to God's pull to partner with Paul. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I kid you not, Sam and his team prayed that for you this morning. Generous partnerships. See, how, how does movement happen? Sacrificial commitment. I'm all in. I'm all in. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm all in. Friendships. Deep-seated, loyal friendships. I'm all in with you. I'm not just in for the vision. I'm not just in for whatever's next. I'm in it with you. And not, not just for the gospel, I'm in it with you. Whatever you're walking through, whatever heaviness in life, I'm for you and I'm with you. But lastly, generous partnership. Paul says, I, I, didn't, I didn't need it. I didn't, I didn't even ask for it, but thank you so much. Money's a weird topic, isn't it? Like money's just a weird thing that sits in our heart somewhere. And the second people start talking about it, people get weird about it, especially when you're asking for something. But Paul has a confidence here. He's like, man, I, there's a God sufficiency here. I've been trusting in God for myself and for you. You know what's amazing is that the, the Jesus movement was funded by, by a bunch of women. On the early, right, early on when Jesus is homeless and rolling around doing his thing, you know who paid the bills? A bunch of generous, wealthy women. Let's go. Jesus, come on. The gospel made it to you because of a few faithful, generous women. Listen, friends, before this church was what it is today, City Church was funded by loyal friends and what John Tyson calls, he calls them gospel patrons. I love that word. A few generous friends. Listen, I'm sitting, I'm sitting at a table with one of, my, one of my friends. His name is Joel Mecklenburg. And he's a dude who runs a real estate business in Denver. And he loves Jesus with all of his heart. And he's got those lenses on I was talking about. How can I leverage my entire life to see the kingdom of God move forward? I'm at a shark tank with a bunch of church planters. It's like like we have to get up on stage in front of a bunch of investors, pitch our vision of what God's doing, what he's called us to, and then those dudes are going to give us money if if God tells them to. It's like a shark tank, but for Jesus. And, and I'm like, this sounds terrifying. And I kid you not, the guy that goes before me is one of our partners in India. And he shares all of this stuff happening in Denver and hundreds of house churches. And we need this, we need a van, we need that. And he shares all these needs. And I'm like floored in the back. And I just get up on stage and I'm like, listen, you guys can just give my money to him. Like, like whatever you think you were going to give to me, give it to that dude. He needs it more. And then I share what God called us to do in Boulder. And that day... The investors in the room, this was before City Church had planted, wrote a check for $20,000 to help us get off the ground. And then Joel got my number. 
He said, hey, let's do lunch. I'll drive to you. I have no, I didn't even know, I didn't, I didn't know who he was. We sit down for lunch and Joel's like, hey, listen, I believe in you. I'm like, you don't even know me. I believe in you. That's wonderful because I don't even believe in myself. So this is great. And at the very beginning of our meeting, he writes me a check for $10,000, hands it to me. He says, well, actually, I can't say what he said, but he said something inappropriate, but awesome at the same time. <laughs> he said, don't be a weenie. <laughs> Ask for what you need. Anytime. You tell me what you need. I've got you. You don't even know me. I've got you. I believe in you. And so many others. Ron Johnson, an incredible mentor of mine, a part of church planning movements around the world. I sit down at a coffee shop with the dude for 15 minutes. I got my whole thing ready. I'm ready to give the presentation. He asked two questions and says, we're in. I'm like, really? These meetings are awesome. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Our sending church in Las Vegas, they don't know us. I had one mega church look at us and say, you guys are a small fish from a small pond. You're never going to make it. We're not getting behind you. I'm like, cool, that's encouraging. Thanks for being the voice of Jesus in our lives. So, and then Hope Church looks at us and says, we believe in you and we're for you. Here's $1,000 a month. Ron Johnson, here's $1,000. And over and over again, before there was, you know, two people that called City Church home, there were gospel patrons, people who had a heart for the kingdom of God that said, we're in it and we believe in what God is doing. And City Church would not exist without those and hundreds of other friends, families, individuals that have said, man, we're for it and we're in it and we believe in what God is doing in and through you. It's amazing. Many of the generous people in the room allow us to have the partners that we have around the world. It's amazing. Listen, the church doesn't want your money. So if, if that's where your mind and heart goes, like that's just a really poor misunderstanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants everything. He wants all of you. Your wallet's a small part of that, but it's, it's connected to your heart and it matters. Listen, where you invest, that's where your heart is. Time, energy, and resources. And I'm not even talking about just like city church. I'm not even talking about the local church. I'm talking about getting to know Sam and, and partnering with him directly. I'm talking about Compassion International. I'm talking about missions around the world. I'm talking about Effa down the street and the homeless shelter and Crestview Elementary and, and, and even blessing the, the teacher that, that your kid is in their class. Like It's just a generous lifestyle of putting lenses on and saying, man, how can I leverage my life for the kingdom? Listen, friends, your life contains extraordinary potential and possibility for impact in the kingdom of God. And you have two options. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can dilute that possibility through what Jesus called distraction. I don't have time for it, but the parable that he gave of the soils. He says that there's uninterested faith, there's shallow faith, there's distracted faith, and then there's fruitful faith. Faith that produces 30, 60, and 100 fold lives changed for the kingdom of God. So you and I can dilute the possibility of what God wants to do because of the distractions that are all too prevalent in our lives. Or we can lean into the prayer that Jesus taught us. God, your kingdom come and your will be done through my life, in my home, through my heart, and my finances, and my time, and my energy on earth as it is in heaven. So here's our next steps for you. Number one, which soil are you today? Uninterested faith, 
Shallow faith, when life gets hard, it kind of just takes a back burner. Distracted faith, like legitimate desire and interest, but man, so busy. If you know anything about gardening, it's just as important that you keep the weeds out of the garden as caring for the thing that you're planting, right? And some of you, God has planted something beautiful inside of you, and there's so many weeds choking it out. Or, or, or fruitful faith. And then naturally the question is, which soil do you want to be? Which soil do you want to be? This is not coercive. It's not a guilt trip. It's just what God's doing in my heart, what he's doing in our church this week. And lastly, how can we help? How can we help? Listen, we are here to serve you. We're here to empower you. We're here to see whatever God has planted inside of you come to life. We're here to see you come to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did in the world around you so you can start dreaming about how God wants to use your life. Just don't settle. And lastly, 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 <laughs> said it twice, who you share it with? Listen, it's not enough just to sit in this and do nothing with it. Which soil do you want to be? What needs to change? And what are you going to do about it? Who are you going to share it with in your city group or, or pray with it during our prayer team? What are you going to do with what God is doing in your heart and mind? Let me pray for you. God, thank you for what you're doing in and through City Church. God, thank you that you love us in the middle of our distractions. When our faith is shallow, even when it's uninterested, you are pursuing us, you love us deeply, and you're inviting us into more. God, stir our hearts in an affection towards you that none of this has to do with earning your favor. All of it is responding to your love for us. That you want to be wanted, but it's easy to want you when we remember that you first wanted us. And God, then would we take up the posture of Paul and sacrificial commitment, put on the lenses that say, man, just how can I leverage my life for God and his kingdom so that others can know your goodness? What have you given me? Time and energy and resources and relationships, gifts and talents to leverage so that other people can experience you. God, some of us feel alone and we need loyal friendships. Some of us are struggling to be loyal friends. And may you reignite in us a desire to love one another like you have loved us and the commitments that you call us to. And lastly, God, would you reignite in our hearts and minds a call to generous partnership, both in and outside of the church, where we leverage all that we have so that more and more people can know you. And lastly, Father, for any of my friends in the room who are not followers of you, I pray for their hearts and minds today that they would know how deeply they are loved by you. That the greatest demonstration of sacrificial commitment was Jesus himself. The greatest demonstration of a loyal friend was Jesus himself. The greatest demonstration of a generous partner is Jesus himself. And we find the motive and for first receiving that love. So my friends in the room who have never trusted in you, would they make that decision today? Jesus, I trust in you, that you're the son of God, that you died for my sin, that you rose again to give me new life, partnership in the family of God, power to follow you, a family to belong to, 
and a kingdom to build. Jesus, whatever you want to do with the rest of our gathering, we invite you to accomplish it. It's in your name. Amen.